0: A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian
1: Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering Data-Driven Value at Scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io.
0: Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left data stacks. You know, Thanks In response to some listener feedback, I'm changing up the formats a little bit of the interview episodes. If you want an extended summary of the episode, you can listen to the Sunday weekly summaries and programming notes episodes. And going forward, the episode summaries in front of each episode are going to be considerably shorter. Just some key points uh, about what I might have learned or some interesting highlights from each episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Ole Olesen-Bagnu, who's an enterprise architect who focuses on data at GN and the author of an upcoming book on data catalogs with O'Reilly. To be clear, Ole was only representing himself and not GN on this episode. The two main topics we covered, which are somewhat intertwined, were how can we better understand and handle the concept of a domain when discussing data? Domain driven design is possibly not the best way to really think about domains. And so we went into what the library and information sciences space has around thinking about domains. And the second topic, how can we build systems that better enable us to search for data, not just search in data that we already know exists? So some practical advice and general conclusions from Ole. Leverage what the library and information sciences discipline, which is centuries or even millennia old, has formed around the domain concept. It will help you Better dig into the actual business dealings of the domain first before trying to focus too much on the technical slash software aspects. The software aspects hinder your initial domain mapping and business context understanding when you start from that DDD or domain driven design perspective in data. Second, spend a lot more time on enabling people to understand what data is available. We focus a lot on optimizing for searching in data, but we don't spend near enough time setting up our systems to allow people to search for data. That's kind of what we've talked about in a lot of data mesh content and and on the podcast around data discoverability. (laughs) Make it so that you can actually go out and find that, that data. To do that, Ole recommends working seriously on your metadata tools, systems, and look for ways to harmonize data across those tools. Ole finished the conversation talking about the fine balance between leveraging tooling and trying to do everything with tooling. There will be important roles for humans in the middle of knowledge sharing and data discoverability, whether they will be more consumer-facing like a data concierge-type role or more behind the scenes, we shall see. But Ole bets it will be the latter. That's kind of where librarians have moved towards of being more behind the scenes and enabling that self-serve aspect. So let's go ahead and get to the interview. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Ole Olesen-Bagno, who is an enterprise architect focusing on data in general at at GN. He's not speaking specifically on behalf of GN. He's also uh, writing a book about data catalogs for O'Reilly. And that's kind of where the conversation jumped off uh, for us about why I wanted to have him on is, you know, data cataloging and data discovery in general is such a Difficult, difficult topic, just in general, and especially within data mesh, because when we talk about um, if we're going to decentralize, we really have to make it possible for people to get to that data, understand that data, and make it, um, and and for the the people sharing data to actually make it understandable for people who are discovering and finding it. Um, and then we're also going to be talking about, um, you know, Ole has a a really good background in the um, library and information sciences space. So there's some really interesting concepts in there about what is a domain. And, and, you know, domain-driven design is kind of very, very attached to software. So if we try and take it one-to-one and map it over to data, we're probably going to be having some more challenges versus if we can pop up to a higher level and talk about what is a domain? And, and we'll talk as well about how we can structure data and, and information so that it can be leveraged by humans. Cause we've really been structuring it and, uh, to be leveraged by computers and by software. So, uh, with that kind of as the backdrop, you know, Ole, if, if you don't mind, if you could give people a little bit of a background on yourself and then we can kind of jump into the conversation at hand.
1: Yes, thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me on. I'm uh, very happy to be here. Um, my name is uh, Ole, and uh, I, I have a background in, in uh, library and in information science, as Scott uh, mentioned. I, I have worked in this data management uh, field for 15 years. Uh, I have had uh, different roles. Uh, I've been a specialist, an architect, a leader. Uh, and I've seen a lot of dos and a lot of don'ts uh, during that time. And uh, I I got a book uh, offer uh, from O'Reilly uh, um, uh, that uh, I'm really happy to uh, to 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 work in on my in my spare time uh, besides my uh, daily job at uh, at GN uh, here in, in Denmark in Copenhagen in Denmark and, um yeah, that's pretty pretty much me, i guess
0: <laughs> sounds great and and so I think a a good place to kind of jump in in from that and that will will weave in um the kind of the topic of of the books again, I think it's very, very important to everything we're talking about today but, but let's start with that kind of the concept of a domain right Library and information sciences has kind of helped humans for you know centuries, <laughs> maybe millennia, about how do we organize and share data, right? So you've got some interesting perspective on kind of what is a domain and how we can learn from, from different sources rather than just domain-driven design, just the blue book. If we only leverage the blue book, um, we're kind of going to, to struggle a lot around doing DDD for, for data um, or should we even think of it as doing DDD for data versus should we think of it as, as how we organize our data to actually um, share our context and, and have that ubiquitous language and things like that. So big, big topic. Where where do you think is a good kind of jumping off point into that conversation?
1: Well, I think, Scott, um, I think the, 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 the way we can unpack this uh Domain uh, discussion is by first uh, stressing that uh, domain uh, analysis and domain theory in uh, library information science is not something that totally contradicts uh, DDD, domain-driven design. So, so I uh, I can see uh, I I, I s- consider them relatively um in harmony but but uh, domain analysis uh, as it is called that discipline in library and information science is something that is detached from software in general it has nothing to do with software whereas domain-driven design uh, its purpose uh, is to is to deliver uh, software that beautifully executes uh, specific tasks within a specific domain. So, so the overall purpose of domain-driven design is to is to deliver uh, uh, logic usable software, and that is something. If you read Eric Evans' book, that is quite obvious from the start to to end. That the the, the, the target here, the purpose of it, is software design, and and um, <clears throat> And, and as i read uh, the Data Mesh book, uh, it became online uh, prior to, to its publication in an early release from O'Reilly, and I followed that early release quite intensely. And uh, I also read Peter Strenkel's book, uh, Data Management at Scale. They are both very, very excellent books. I've been very much inspired by those books. Uh, and and both of them, uh, both uh, Stranghald and Jemak, they they include this uh, domain-driven design approach to understand domains, and they both actually in their books, but also in papers, uh, they they kind of touch upon this subject that it's very very difficult to to get the, do- the notion of a domain out of this software context from which it was derived in domain driven design and then and and so as a as a as as a as a, as a professional with a different pre- background i just knew that within my own discipline uh, library and information science there was this adjacent uh, understanding of domain one that wasn't uh, uh, aimed at designing software, and that's really that's really where I thought I could give a contribution in in uh, in the way of understanding uh, domains. So, so basically, if you want uh, domain theory in uh, in library information science, uh, it also uh, it also defines uh, a group that has a purpose. But uh, it looks at uh, it looks at several different uh, different uh, characteristics of, of this group of people that wants to achieve something uh, they have this common goal and so uh, yeah I, I guess uh, to, to, to be able to phrase it correctly, if I could just quickly read a, a quote from uh, from a book I can give you the references so that they will appear in the in, uh, in the notes, um, this is Professor Smuraglia saying, uh, a domain then can be a group of people who work together if they share knowledge, goals, methods of operation, and communication. It can be a community of hobbyists, a scholarly discipline, an academic department, and so on. Now, this is like the most high level popular uh, definition of a domain in information science. It, it really uh, becomes very academic if you deep dive into it but the the idea here is that they have they have a knowledge uh, base that they share they have a they have goals that the that they share also ambitions of what they want to do or obtain. They have methods of, of operations, so they they work uh, with the same uh, in the same way to 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 obtain these goals, and they communicate uh, in uh, in in what information science calls social semantics. But this really is. Their means of communication it can be papers or email lists or whatever. And and what it does, information science, it's library information science if you want. It kind of it kind of uh, advises uh, a lot of different ways to 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 more or less anthropologically just study people and what they do. So so they list, for example, uh, that you can study. Uh, they um, how they express themselves in terms of uh, uh, in classification systems and uh, and and the like in in libraries in in the literature uh, you can also do more hardcore studies of for example bibliometric uh, analysis so that would be analysis that kind of try to group statistically who quotes who and what words do they use in that context. Uh, you can also study them in uh, these groups in uh, in various uh, epistemological and critical ways, uh, and so on and so on. It goes on and on. It has a lot of a lot of different ways that you can study these groups, but none of them, none of them has anything to do where, with uh, software in particular. And so... And so that's that's the difference between between domain-driven design and, and information science. Is this? It opens up the field of understanding what a domain is, so that we do not need to unpack this software element, or or or, 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 or distance ourselves from from the software element. And so, in practical terms, Scott, if 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 I can just continue here, uh, um, what this means is that. When we try to organize uh, domains uh, for example in a data mesh I've seen uh, many uh, many discussions on how for example would you describe software that spans across several domains. It's a typical problem. For example, Pete hunt Stringhold discusses it a lot in his uh is in his recent articles and i think that uh, that that problem arises from the fact that we look at domains as something that is software specific if we look at the data contained in the software and only that i believe we have less of a hassle organizing our domains
0: can you elaborate on that because i'm i'm I get that they are different, but i I guess I'm not seeing the the difficulties that arise specifically because Ddd is overly attached to software when thinking about data. Is it that we're we're thinking too much in the um, tactical instead of the strategic in trying to get too in depth in exactly how we'd execute this versus, Um, thinking about what are we actually trying to accomplish or what what is it that ends up like kind of what is it baguette (laughs) uh what what is the challenge that um having ddd overly attached to software brings when we start to look at it relative to mapping out domains in data and what what can library and information sciences like more specifically help us to understand? Is it to help us map those boundaries better? Or is it to help us understand much better what are our, um, our ubiquitous languages or or things like that? Like, what, what does it actually help us to do better if we kind of pop up to that higher level and don't get overly kind of starting in the weeds? Because if you started in the weeds, you know, I think that's always a bit of a challenge for a lot of folks
1: yeah yeah i definitely agree so <clears throat> so so high level i think uh, how can you express this uh in in the highest possible way i think mapping domains using ddd is sometimes overly complicated Simp- simply because uh you have this uh, offset of 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 a software context, and so data mesh, for example, should uh, at least in my view focus more on data and not so much on software. So so that's very high level. If I can try to to t- like bridge uh, the the very detailed explanation and the very high level one, I think that that um, uh, D DDD simply does not, in my view at least, it it doesn't allow for enough layers uh, inside of each domain, so that you can actually get to a point where where data is stored in a, in a, in a logic, uh, domain. That's, that's my view. I don't know if it makes any sense.
0: So like if, if I'm, a uh, a, a team that's looking at, at doing DDD for data or mapping out their domains, right? DDD mm-hmm. is something that's, that's blocking a lot of folks. You know, I've had mm-hmm. multiple episodes on because this is the blocker. Is it that DDD is, is quote unquote too cute? Or is it not cute enough? Because what you, what you what you're saying, I was thinking that you were saying that it feels too cute because you're trying to get overly specific. Because software is is you know opinionated, right? Data is both opinionated and very much not opinionated, right? in, in kind of a a certain sense, because it tells what was and what is, and you know potentially what might be, and and things like that and that there's multiple interpretations that you can look at it, but software is a zero or a one, right? It is, Uh it is more of that very, very strict opinionated. So is it that if you attach it to software that you have to be overly opinionated and that you're, you're kind of narrowing in on the things that aren't as helpful, or is it that it, it has just kind of a few layers and it means that you end up not really driving down. So you're communicating out the information you're in, you're focusing on communicating out the bits instead of the actual information. Is that, is that a good way of summarizing either? I, I don't know which one are you saying, or are you not saying either of those?
1: Huh? Uh, uh, I guess uh, if I provide a long answer, I, I I also get a long question. So 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 uh, <laughs> that's pretty fair of you to ask this, uh, Scott. Um, uh, let's see if I can if I can phrase this in a in a way that is uh, both uh, simple and uh, explanatory. Um, I see DDD as something that a lot of people in the data mesh community struggles with. I think it's not a completely proper fit, uh, simply because it focuses too much on software. Now, is software uh, more objective or less objective than than data? I I actually don't know if I have a speci- I, I don't know if I can answer that question, uh, Scott. But but uh, what I what I do think is that we should detach ourselves from a software context when describing domains. Simply because the data in a given domain uh, and what people do in a a given domain is more easily described simply by focusing on what people do, what they want to achieve, how they do what they do, and how they communicate. So if we completely leave out the software in, in that calculation, I think mapping domains is, 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 is more simple. And then uh, what software they use and what data is in it is something that you can attach to those domains at a later point.
0: So, I think that makes sense. Essentially, what you're saying is if we do this, we can at least get to the mapping more easily and we might be able to discover what are those business events without trying to overly attach them to software immediately? If you can map out what you're doing from like what actually matters to the fricking domain (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and what is the actual domain versus um, trying to attach it overly um, to what, like what is the actual underlying software doing? It's like, what does this matter? What's the business? It, it, it better encapsulate what matters. Is is that a good, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that a good way of of summing it up?
1: Yeah, I, I, I I definitely think it is. I I honestly think it is. Um, I, and it really touches upon a lot of things that I've seen in my career, uh, because, you know, this is, this is something that uh, also, It also has some connection to to, to data modeling, for example. So domain-driven design is is very, very occupied by modeling. And that's only fair. Domain-driven design wants to do beautiful software, and it is only logic that you want to model that. Um, When you do a mapping of domains, a mapping of your data in, in logical entities, uh, in what you could call the universe of knowledge uh, there is no such thing as a model and there is no such thing as a process going on in that model so so we have to look completely away from that element uh, when we map data just for the sake of, ma- of mapping data and not orchestrating it in a process. That is something that I think uh, is very, very important when we structure data at a metadata level. And it's something that I've seen over and over again being not very well understood because many people that that work in the data space uh, in IT, they are not all, but many, they are working uh, on data modeling. And uh, that's, of course, a... Uh, relevant and also very difficult discipline in in data. So, understanding, for example, your data, um, how a process is carried out uh, in in a specific uh, application or in several specific applications. That's that's very very important that you have some kind of model over that. But but when you map data in. In a data mesh or in a structure uh, that is simply trying to, to cover what data uh, is is about, uh, then a data model is not a very good fit. So, <clears throat> so that's another adjacent topic in terms of uh, in terms of understanding data domains and and so on, how we structure data.
0: Yeah, I, I think that came up in some of the knowledge graph episodes as well. Of Like, we, we still don't have a great way to share our information. We're like, you know, like you said in, in our in our pre-call or, you know, uh, to kind of quote you is was, was historically we've built our data systems, stored our data for software to use. How do we build for people to use as the first class concern? Right. Exactly what you're talking about a data model isn't something that's inherently understandable. So like we have to figure out new ways. And, and if we overly attach ourselves to the mechanism for sharing data is our data model, instead of the mechanism for sharing data is to understand each other's contexts and then take those contexts and map that down, which is what DDD tries to do is to map that down all the way into the software or the data model or, or things like that, but if we start from DDD, it sounds like you you think that in a lot of cases you're going to end up um, overly attaching yourself that the communication needs to be at the software level and that you miss out that that actual understanding of the context and that that context might not only be at the data layer. You need that metadata, you need that, um, What whether that metadata is entirely attached to the data. I think we're trying a little too hard in the data mesh space from what I'm, I'm seeing. We're trying to too hard to automate all of the data discovery and the, the information and knowledge sharing. And what I'm finding is that the people who are having the most success are... Yes, putting that knowledge into the data products where possible, but you can't share everything because you can't understand what somebody else's context is coming at it. So you kind of also need to to be open to having those conversations to share context. Is that is that uh, uh, I'm not again I'm not trying to to put words in your mouth, but that's something that that I'm seeing from my angle. Is it something that you've kind of seen historically as well, or is that what you're seeing with the the DDD space?
1: I, I I at least see it in in uh, in in these uh, well I mentioned two books to begin with shemak Dagani's uh, Data Mesh book uh, that's of course very relevant in this context also uh, Pete Hunt Stringhold's book Data Management at Scale that's also very relevant in this context and and I see this attempt uh, they're qu- they're very open about this uh, this problem that relying on DDD. I think, quite frankly, that they rely on DDD because they have a software background, or at least an information technology background, that uh, that made them focus on DDD. And I think, yeah, I think it's very relevant that what you're what you're asking here, Scott. Um, i I don't think looking for data, so so let's take some high level questions here again to to get uh, to, I think uh, in respect of the listeners, uh, I think let's take some high level questions. So for example, what what how do you search for data? How do you actually search for it? Where do you search for it <laughs> and And that is something that I find very uh, and how do you store data? how do you actually describe it and, and what do you want to achieve with the way you, you organize that data? If we look at it from software uh, perspective and a, and a modeling perspective, we get one kind of answer. And that answer is by no means wrong, by no means, but it serves a specific purpose to build a data model and to build software. Now, if we want to serve, if we want to, if we want to build a functionality where we can actually search for data and make data discoverable, how would that look? And and that thing, in my world, at data catalog is a fantastic tool in, in that context. But there are definitely other tools that are just as relevant. I'm just I just happen to be a, a, a data catalog enthusiast. Um but in that case, we're not building uh, uh data models we're not orchestrating software in any way we're building a semantic structure that should be searchable with in many different ways so it should be searchable by simple search features or just type words and expect to get relevant results it should be searchable with complex uh, query uh, language it should be searchable in browse uh, mode, in in various ways, like you know, very intuitively up and down in a domain, so a high-level domain into a very specific domain. It should be searchable in a horizontal way. So that would be called data lineage, tracing how data is processed back and forth. And it should also be str- uh, searchable in a in a relational way. So that's typically a knowledge graph. In that space, I see, for example, uh, this. French uh, data catalog company called CENIA. They have built this very beautiful uh, knowledge graph. So, so these are ways to to search uh, for data in in in, uh, in I'd say various dimensions and to various degrees of complexity. And that is something that is very very different than building a data model and trying to do software in a in a way that respects a specific domain it's just something very different and neither things are wrong but i think if we want a if we want a functional uh, data mesh we need to pay very close attention to the traditions and the methods we apply when we structure a metadata layer in that data mesh it shouldn't be uh, an attempt that tries to that borrows uh, the method uh, from a discipline that is actually trying to build software. We're not building software here in a data mesh. We're building a map of the of the of the. You'd say I, I normally I normally say knowledge knowledge universe, but I guess that's a bit uh, <laughs> just. Uh, you could also call it a data map, but whatever we call it, this this map this. This uh, this universe that we're constructing—it's not a software thing in itself. It's just a structure that we need to, to be able to search in. And and this this goes, I mean, this I could I could I could go very much into depth about this, but uh, but but trying to keep it a little high level, I'd say that, for example, when we search in data, we have a lot of different query languages, the oldest and still. Still going strong as as SQL, right? And research in data. But there's an entirely different discipline uh, next to that one that that deals with searching for data. Now, these are not uh, database query languages, as for example, SQL and all the others. These are information retrieval query languages. And they are a little different in nature because what you do there is that you... You do not search in data, you search for data. And you do not search uh, in data that is stored in databases. You search in what is conceptually known as reference databases. So that's databases that refer you to data that is outside of the database in which you're searching. And that discipline is just a little different. It's not entirely the same. It's not entirely different. It's a little different. And and the the query languages that you apply there depend heavily on metadata uh, thinking, and metadata discipline, and domain mapping in particular. And without this discipline and without the focus on, on these elements, you won't get a very functional metadata tool. Whatever tool you want to have. I mean, I focus a lot on, on data catalogs. I think they are very excellent tools in this regard, but you could also have CMDBs and you can have a lot of other tools that are, could also function in this way, right? <clears throat> so, so, so yeah, it's a little deep here. I, I, am I making myself clear, Scott? Is it is it, is it computable?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense of there's that difference for searching in the data and searching for about like searching for that actual data and how do we set it up so that we can have both because, you know, is it that there is that multi-layered approach because I think trying to, um, trying to serve both constituencies in the exact same, format or whatever is is trying to thread the needle far too much
1: right oh yeah i totally agree i totally agree
0: well but when you start to think about searching for the data like what have we learned right is that the knowledge graph space is that something like where where if somebody says okay i get this i want to move forward where do they go from there
1: yeah so very good question scott and i I think we are slowly approaching like some 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 essential points here. It's a difficult uh, conversation to 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 get a hold on, right? Right? But 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 it's a very good question, Scott. So so the difference between searching for data and searching in data is that, for example, <clears throat> searching in data you would ask how many. Uh, let me give you an example here. That's that's that's. Uh, Resonation mean, people with a lot of just people. use live
0: active customers is kind of the
1: yeah so live active, live active customers is a very good example, but let me just uh yeah so how many how many customers have actually bought our product in this part of the u s and have this age or whatever like you could, you ask questions to the actual data that you have you are searching in data to get answers right that's that's uh that's, those kind, that's database query languages, right? Um, searching for data would be, it would be different kind of questions that you ask. Where can I find customer information? Where could I find customer information that is derived from the finance department, but not from the uh, marketing department and that has been created prior to this uh, period of time Uh, And have, for example, uh, these specific uh, persons uh, in the company uh, that has worked with this kind of data. So it's different kind of questions that you ask when you're searching for data. And it's something that ideally should be at play before you ask questions in data. So I completely agree with your question, Scott. I think it's spot on to ask uh, whether or not we should do this in the same tools we should not do this in the same tools. That's completely spot on. So, so imagine, uh, so Im- you know, these sayings that data scientists they spend half their time searching for data uh, instead of instead of doing their complex analysis in data. That's exactly the problem I'm addressing here: the fact that we we have a very poor methodology when it comes to to structuring the systems in which we search for data. And, uh, and so that's both what I do in my daily job, that's what my book is about, and, and that's basically what I do, right? I work with the systems that search for data.
0: Yeah, and, and I think, I call it sometimes a little bit data spelunking, but a lot of it is what is the art of the possible of the questions I could ask? right? Um, it's not just, I, I know my exact question, but I want to inform what questions I'm going to ask that could be interesting based on what data is available, and maybe even start to say what data isn't available. And, you know, who should I be able to go and, and talk to, to say, hey, I've got some hunches, let's run this down together, or, or things like that, that you've got, you set yourself up to be able to ask more questions that might be valuable without the sense of I'm, I'm only going to drive towards, you know, it, it's the, this is the question for the dashboard versus this is the question for the insight. And yes, you want to drive your dashboards towards sharing insights, not just sharing information, but to be able to get to something that's useful or that is that kind of one off insight of I really want to look at this. I have a hunch that this is happening. Like how can i how can I actually answer this question? And you know you might approach it from multiple different angles. You know anytime you take a, a SQL course or whatever, they've got these big data sets, and you might be able to to do the linking from two completely different sets of of um, information and get to the same hopefully same answer, <laughs> or at least relatively close, directionally close. Um, but I, I think that's really important to enable people to to get there. But a, a, a big question of that is, I, I think there's probably good information on how to do that within a specific domain, right? When that domain knows how to set, people up to search their information appropriately. But like, how do you think about that at a more broader scale? Because everybody does every, do you have to have strict standardization because a whole point of data mesh is to not have that, to have standards, but not standardization that people can comply with, but they don't have to. And that you, um, you, you make it so that people can have the flexibility and agility to share what matters in a way that matters. But at the same point, if I have to um, type in, in uh, the questions in, in three different semantic types to under, to get the data from three different domains, that's, that's not usable. <laughs> mm, so like,
1: mm.
0: how have you seen that actually start to work? How have you seen that, that you, iterate towards, you know, are, are, teams really, really setting that up beforehand? Are they able to iterate towards a useful solution as they're moving along or, or like, how do you not get yourself into a bad spot? With
1: yes. Again, Scott, thank you for this question. I think, um, uh, I think I, to, to answer your question, um, in a simple way, I'd say that Tools such as data catalogs have quite precise ways of of, of doing what you're asking uh, here. So, so <clears throat> I I completely agree that in I completely agree in the approach in data mesh that you shouldn't build like the central body of data governance that decides like all the metadata terminology that we have uh, in a company. Um, so the way that you would go about it is to have uh, uh, controlled vocabularies, as uh, as we call them, um, that are controlled to various degrees. So think of, for example, uh, something. <clears throat> think of tags uh, on social media. They are a way of indexing, but they are they are called uh, they are called folk- folksonomies. Uh, uh they also sometimes uh, more uh, hostilely called um, mob indexing but we have a lot of tags that make a lot of sense to a lot of people um the most famous hashtag is, is MeToo. too and strictly speaking me too uh, doesn't make any sense in in a in an indexing context. But it makes a lot of sense in the context in which we it was created we all know what me too is now this is a way of of indexing that that is very very uh uh rooted in in a, in a specific domain uh, that domain got very very big and luckily uh but uh it is a domain thinking so so you can have Ways of describing your data with metadata that is very little controlled, but then you can also have uh, higher levels of control of controlled vocabularies uh, of metadata, and so the combination of very loosely controlled uh, vocabularies and very controlled ones uh, caters for types of searches in 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 metadata repositories that 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 like that can answer. Both things. So, so to answer your question, it depends on an uh, on an application of both very loosely controlled and very highly controlled vocabularies. That would actually solve this. And I agree with the data mesh approach that that if you only try to have a central glossary that describes. It's very, very practical here. If you have a central glossary in a data catalog and everything should pass through, all terms should pass through this body uh, in a central glossary body, then we wouldn't have uh, any way of expressing what we call the ubiquitous language of the domain, right? That would be uh, a central view. It would take a lot of time and it wouldn't serve all the purposes of retrieval in, in a metadata tool. So so it wouldn't even be functional.
0: Yeah, it's, it's what I talk about, I think, with the data warehouse of, when you have that, the you know, the enterprise data warehouse, not data warehousing in general, but mm-hmm. the enterprise data warehouse, you have like a schema And, you know, I I talk about every domain is kind of this mapping out of dough and, you know, oh, this dough looks like a a, a fern, but, you know, your cookie cutter is going to cut off a whole heck of a lot of context. So this thing that looked like a fern or whatever, you've got your dino cookie cutter and so it's going to look like a dinosaur, right? (laughs) Even though the domain that doesn't have the actual um, context of the domain in that. and so. but like you know, <laughs> we'll we'll talk about uh, how the, how the book uh, is going to cover some of these things. But like outside of of that, if people are are agreeing with you on this, let's say people are, are are really agreeing with you on this, where can they start to to figure out how to do this? Because a lot of the the issues with data mesh is that. We, we're still figuring out our patterns. We're still figuring out how to, to approach these challenges, but it's also, you know, people that we're, we're borrowing from so many different places, you know, uh, p- part of the the thing that I, I talk with Jamak about is, um, that she's just a little too well-read for the rest of us. <laughs> so that hmm. we, it's, it's, it's a big struggle for us to really understand, um, everything where she's taking from and so like where do we find the good bits of how to do this or or are there examples out there that that you're aware of or or is it something that's still just kind of emerging
1: um i i (sighs) there are two answers to that um It's not emerging. It's been around for a long time. And uh, these disciplines that I mentioned, these ways of thinking that I that I apply in my work, is is not something that I I would of course like to take credit for all of this. It's not something that I have invented. It's it's really very well described in in uh, in library information science uh, textbooks. Uh, I have one right here. It's called "The Elements of Knowledge Organization" by uh, Richard's Miraclea, but there are many, many books out there um, on this topic. Uh, I can't remember them all by heart, but I can definitely send you a list afterwards that you can put in the show notes. Uh, I think that was one part of the answer. The other part of the answer is that I think that why you're asking this question, Scott, is because there's something happening in the data community these years where where basically <clears throat> rooted in rooted in data catalogs we are slowly getting to a state uh, it'll take it'll take the rest of this decade to 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 truly unfold but we are slowly getting to a state where we will see search engines uh, for companies so we will have search engines that are not for the internet, but for the com- for, for for the company you work in. So you will no longer look at an internet page with old news and l- list of words that are not lo- not the authoritative list and words. And you know what an internet looks like, right? That will be replaced by search engines in, in this decade. I'm I'm quite sure, sure. Um. And and so there are a lot of new questions that are being addressed in a community that is not used to thinking in a metadata way but is used to thinking in a in a master data way or in a uh, behavioral uh, data uh, transactional data or reference data kind of way all of these ways of thinking of data are completely relevant they still are very relevant but they are also just being supplemented with another way of thinking that has a long tradition, but has but has not played a big role in IT so far.
0: And and one concern that I have a lot with um, data mesh in the way a lot of the I mean this is the way all data tools work. I, I absolutely hate the way um, data integration tool between tooling has to work. Right, like I want. <laughs> I want that printed circuit board or whatever where we've got pin for pin compatible. We drop a tool on, it communicates with the other tool. And yes, you have to build the semantic understanding between those two tools, but that it just works out of the box for at least exchanging information. Um, We kind of have that on the metadata side too of these tools might, you know, data observability tools might generate really good metadata, but it's trapped inside that observability tool, or it's trapped in such a format that it, it can't be be shared easily or appropriately and things like that. So, I mean, there is like open metadata and open lineage and and stuff like that. Um, I would love for there to be a, a standard. I don't know that those are the standards that people should look at under any circumstances. I've heard some good and a lot bad because yeah,
1: they don't, they don't work. They don't work. Not, not yeah. in my opinion.
0: Everybody's very opinionated on it because yeah. it's the right, it's the right challenge, but it's also such a difficult challenge to, to take on. And so any approach is going to be lacking for quite a while. So, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I, guess I'm trying to, um, to get towards what, if somebody were to ask you for, again, you know, yes, buy your book, but uh, co- mm-hmm. coming when, whenever I don't know when that's coming. I think you said sometime probably later this year. But what what are the tangible steps if if people are are listening to this and they're and it's resonating with them? What are the tangible steps for them to start to figure out how to do this? Right, that they're not mm-hmm. going to solve it overnight. You're you're not going to feel like you know you might feel like this is overwhelming, but At the same point, we can get a lot of value out of data without uh, nailing this, right? We need to start to address it. We need to figure out how we move it forward. But this is going to add that, that, you know, significance, uh, significant multiplication factor on the value of your data. If you can make it so people can really understand what data is available easily, right? And that they're then able to understand how to combine it and, 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 you know, maybe even have the further discussions that it's not just consuming from the the search page or the, the catalog or whatever that, oh, okay, I, I can fully grok exactly what's happening from this. Um, but like, how can people move forward if, if the, you know, uh, journey of a thousand steps starts with the first step, right? Or wh- whatever it's, it's called. Like, how do people start heading down that is it reading some library sciences library and information sciences book is it um you know really starting to experiment with certain things is it is it broadening their horizons in certain ways what are the tangible things that you tell people to do
1: i tell them to 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 work seriously with their metadata tools so be it a data catalog i definitely uh, suggest uh, that, that people uh, implement a data catalog in their organization, but it could also be, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a, C and a B. uh You can have uh, various uh, other uh, metadata uh, tools. Uh, typically, a CISO, a Chief Information Security Officer, will have a metadata tool a list of all the data in the organization. A DPO, a data protection officer, will also have a list of metadata tools. Try to harmonize those tools. Try to make them express the same domains and the same type of data uh, in the same type of domains across those tools. So try to harmonize that. That increases your possibility of searching for data, searching for data. Not in data, but for data. I mean, even for companies that just have like, I don't know, four, five, uh, 6,000 employees, the amount of data, the amount of applications, it's totally overwhelming. So try to get an overview of that and make that overview as searchable as you can using metadata that is both very structured and very unstructured.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of my time at, at... Um, tenable, and and what we had for the internal system for that was, Verges which was a guy named Matt Werges and so he knew <laughs> he he'd been there for ten years. He knew everything. He was, uh, you know, he's a phenomenal architect and and everything. And it, you kind of have to to balance that. And and I think one thing that DDD teaches us, or, or just domains in general, teach us is that it's not right for eternity. It's, it's, it's a good implementation for now. And like, how do we get to that concept around this as well that we're not going to solve this problem overnight? Like, how do we get comfortable with how do we set ourselves up to succeed? Right? Like that, that um, is something that we really, really need to focus on is setting ourselves up to succeed, but not um, necessarily Thinking that we have to absolutely nail everything from the start.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you could stop. Uh, you could start one domain at a time, right? If you want to map this in a, in, a, in a good way, <laughs> the the situation you described there, Scott, I think, really resembles uh, a lot of situations. A lot of people find themselves in uh, in their current um, company. I guess. I guess if if I could. Uh, if I could also chip in with the personal experience, it's that, you know, searching in data is something that is highly valued. You have an entire discipline that evolves around that, right? The data scientist. But searching for data is something that has not been valued a lot. It's supposedly, when you you look at, uh, when you look at small, like commercials for, for, for data catalogs and search tools in general it's always this process where like you type in sales and then the, the top hit that you get is the best sales report in power bi that you could ever imagine so it's just it's a simple it's a simple thing searching for data but the fact of the matter is that that's not the truth searching for data is also quite complex and it may not be as complex as searching in data but it is something that you need to cater for it's something that you need to plan and execute on and if you do not do that searching for data becomes exactly what you described that you have lived through earlier in your career right asking an experienced architect oh where is this system and what data does it hold now imagine that you have some of the best paid employees in your company doing that it's 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 simply not it's a waste of money (laughs) It's it's a complete waste of money
0: I do wonder, um, this is something that has come up is can we fully automate this via software? I don't think we can. I think that, that there should be people who are, you know, depending on your org size, data concierge, right? Somebody who is, is, you don't use them in an inappropriate way. You don't just say, you know, oh, I want to find the sales data and I just, t- you know, what, what do I type in to find this thing? And it's like, you type in sales and you would have found it, right? But it is that person of going, I'm trying to figure out what is the art of the possible with our data, right? What what could I figure out? What might be hidden in this? What can I go and kind of data spelunk at and, and find that really valuable insight that's going to drive a ton of data? And so I what what are your thoughts on trying to put everything on the software or the tooling or things like that versus can there be human augmented information sciences, right? Like library and information sciences, you still have a librarian, right? Like Mm -hmm. librarians Mm -hmm. still exist (laughs) because they're the (laughs) ones who who specialize in this uh, information gathering and finding and searching for the data is there you know you don't want to make it overly reliant you want to balance that but is do you think that that companies have to get used to there being a a new type of headcount in that kind of, of of space
1: uh yeah i definitely think that that kind of headcount would deliver an immense value uh it would definitely be worth uh the salary that the company would have to pay uh, that team uh, that is beyond doubt that said I, I also think that uh, technology is becoming better and better uh, especially in the knowledge graph space uh, I think that there's a lot of opportunity of, of automating a lot of processes with knowledge graphs in terms of semantics um, so I think it's not an either or here uh it's it's more a case of where do we put the effort so traditionally so you mentioned libraries right so let's take libraries they they the way they indexed the way they cataloged was to have people actually catalog books back in the old days a lot of thing happened uh, between that state and and the current state also for libraries but but that was really, really like the the librarian uh, cataloged a specific book. Now, in today's world, uh, with, for example, search engines, what a data architect uh, would would plan for, uh, a data engineer would execute on, is something where we are working more behind the scenes. So we are, for example, optimizing an algorithm instead of instead of uh, cataloging specific uh, entities such as books we are optimizing an algorithm for example with a synonym ring so that when you're searching for a dishwasher and you and you uh, misspell the name then we analyze the all the misspellings possible and we build on that and we make uh, natural language processing on those kind of misspellings, and we use machine learning to to enhance our algorithm on it. So, so we're working more behind the scenes, but humans will still be there, but they will work more and more behind the scenes. I don't think they will uh, that this is an a topic where we will ever um, lose uh, human activity or, or simply uh, discard human activity. But it will be more and more behind the scenes
0: and i think that um data catalog will also be helpful in surfacing what should be automated right like i think a lot of the conversations we've had on, on the podcast is that um there are things that should be automated and worked on and there are certain things that it's okay to have as a one off and so if you if you you think about like that dishwasher example yes people misspelling is something that we need to to work around but you know um there's certain things that that aren't as valuable with uh having them um kind of trying to automate all the things and trying to you know I, i talked about um creating a speculative data product and that you're like okay should we just mark this as hot stove and that we tell people don't touch the hot stove or do we prevent them from, with a speculative data product, from using that data in any other way? They can't exfiltrate it in any way. You can't integrate it, and you put all these these boxings around it, so that you're like, okay, I'm going to make sure that no one can use this. Versus, you know, okay, is that really that valuable? Versus, we tell people, don't be stupid and. <laughs> <laughs> Read the manual about the the data product, and don't just if somebody's trying to put something out and say, is this something that people want? Um, that you're going to to assume that that's the highest quality of data and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a question that comes up repeatedly a lot. So, um, so this has been really great. Um, do you have any you know? Is there anything that we didn't cover that you think is important, or is there any kind of button you want to you want to put? On on the episode about kind of summing up what what your thoughts are here or, or what people can kind of do tangibly to to move forward here.
1: Yeah, I have one uh, one remark, but uh, it's uh, it's simply the fact that the last time I met with my editor at O'Reilly, she was quite excited and said, "Oh, you're going to be on Data Mesh Radio. Radio, we we, we need to prepare your chapters and." She got a little stressed, so I'll make sure to to send you the, the link uh, for the chapters that will be on early release. Um, that aside, I think this has been great. Uh, I, I I really hope that uh, my my message with searching for data and in data got through. Uh, I hope also that every data mesh practitioner out there uh, gets that I. I don't see the domain-driven design as something that is um, completely opposed to the way I think of domains. It's more uh, something that will help us further define domains.
0: Yeah, I think coming at it from multiple angles makes sense, right? Like, I, I think exactly what you're talking about of... It's not a one-to-one mapping and neither is kind of the way you're thinking about it. I think is, is, is it a one-to-one mapping? It it doesn't have a lot of the exact communication across domains and things like that, but it helps you to get to where you need to go faster and with less friction and less headaches, and then you can start to go, okay, let's dig a little deeper into how we, we do that, that DDD aspect. I think, I think exactly what you said. Makes a ton of sense, and a big part of my episodes on DDD is what what don't we have to do? What can we throw out? People are getting stuck on this. Let's let's move forward. So, I think this providing it as a good framework for that is is uh, very very useful. So, I highly appreciate that. Um, if people want to follow up with you, uh, like we'll, we'll drop a bunch of links in the show notes, but like uh, if people want to follow up with you, where do you want them doing that? You know, LinkedIn or Twitter or, or what? And then what do you want them really following up with, with you about?
1: Oh, a lot of good questions. LinkedIn, definitely. Uh, you can find me there. I'm quite active. Um, I'm always open to uh, discussing uh, metadata versus... Uh, Versus other types of data and and everything that entails in in terms of how you organize data and, and search for it again.
0: Okay, well, um, Ole, this has been really great. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time, and uh, so thank you, and thank you everyone for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Ole Olesen Bagno, who is an enterprise architect at GN. You can find links to information about his book and everything like that, as well as how to contact him as per usual in the show notes. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now, let's hear that funky outro music.